You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. I think it would be true to say that Leonardo da Vinci stands out in artistic history as being one of the greatest painters who ever lived. And during his lifetime, he was commissioned to paint a picture of the Last Supper on the front wall of a great cathedral in Milan. After many years, he completed it. And when people arrived at the cathedral and they came in through the back door and they looked up to the front, they initially had the impression that at the front of the cathedral there was a table at which 13 people were sitting around it that it was a physical table with physical people. But as they made their way up the, the aisle of the cathedral and the nearer they got to the front wall, it became apparent that it was not a three-dimensional image that they had thought they saw, but it was a flat painting on the wall. So lifelike was this painting that he painted. And for a few moments this morning, I want us to look together at the scene depicted in that painting, where Jesus sat with the twelve disciples. And I want us to look together at three of the disciples whom he communicated with on that particular evening. Earlier in the day, Jesus had told a couple of the disciples to go, Peter and John, and to make arrangements for the meal. It was now time for them to gather together. And Matthew 26, verse 20 tells us that when evening was come, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And he, at this point, shocked them. He said this, he said, one of you is going to betray me. And you can imagine at that point how the atmosphere changed. They would have been sitting, talking together, and suddenly Jesus came with this bombshell of an announcement. And their immediate response was to him, well, is it going to be me? And then we see that Judas, who was there, he said, Lord, is it going to be me? And Jesus replied, the one who dips his hand into the bowl will betray me. And Jesus indicated to Judas that it was him. Now, what was Judas's problem? His problem was basically that he misunderstood who Jesus was. Now, there had been a period of time when all of the disciples had misunderstood, and they didn't even at that point fully understand who he was. But remember, there were many occasions when Jesus spoke about the fact that he was going to establish a kingdom. And as far as they were concerned, and as they thought about a kingdom, they thought about a territorial area ruled over by a king, and because they were in a special relationship with Jesus Christ, that they would have a special authority and a special place in that kingdom. But as time went on, the penny started to drop. But Judas still didn't appear to have caught the right end of the stick. And Judas was someone who was also in charge of the apostolic finances. And having been in charge of the, ba the bag for quite some time, we're told that on occasions he helped himself out of it. 
So his desire to betray Jesus was not just simply a one-off, isolated failure or event. His heart was not really focused on what it should have been. Personal preference, personal interest was surely at the forefront of his mind and actions and he was preoccupied by position and power and prominence. And we discover that Judas harbored a grudge. And Judas must have been someone who was out of step with the other disciples. And certainly he cooperated with the enemies of Jesus on the fact that he would betray him. And he misunderstood the significance of the meal. He misunderstood the mission of Jesus. And today, is it not true to say that there are many people and they misunderstand the mission of Jesus? They see Jesus as a historical figure. They see him as a great teacher. They see him as one whose example it would be good to follow. They see him as a leader of the Christian movement. But Jesus was far more than that. Jesus Christ's primary coming into the world was in order as to be a spiritual one. He came to die on the cross as a substitute and as a sin bearer and as a savior. About once a week, when the notion takes me, I buy a copy on the Saturday morning of the Belfast Telegraph. Often it puts my blood pressure up and it does so because I buy it for one reason and really one reason only. And that is to look at the religious correspondence page written usually by Alton McCreary and see who he's interviewing and what they're saying. If any of you are not familiar with that page, it's been going on for years. And he usually, as far as I'm concerned, asks the wrong people. And he asks the same set of questions to everybody. There's about 15 or 16 questions which he poses every week, the same questions, basically, to different people. Now, he didn't make a mistake the week before last, as far as I was concerned, because he invited David Leach to be under the target of questioning. And one of the questions that he always asks was the question, are the churches fulfilling their mission? And so taken was I with David's answer that I actually cut the wee bit out and I, I've written it into my notes this morning. And this is what he said in respect to is the church fulfilling its mission. The Bible describes the message we carry as the gospel. And that is the very best news anybody could have. But in many churches, we have become embarrassed by this and replaced it with a religion about kindness, acceptance, and decency, rather than eternal issues. I thought that was very perceptive about the church. And many years ago, there was a worldwide Christian convention in Lausanne and all the top theologians and, if you want to call it, significant individuals in the spiritual world and church leadership were invited to it. 
and they had us they drafted together a definition of what the gospel was and this is what they came up with they said to evangelize is to spread the good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins was raised from the dead according to the scriptures and as reigning Lord he offers forgiveness of sin and the liberating gifts of his spirit to all who repent and believe and I think as David said kindness and acceptance and decency are all what you might call outworkings of the Christian life yes there are plenty of people and they're kind and they're decent and they're accepting of others but but they're not necessarily Christians but those of us who are Christians these things need to come out but those who are Christians are those who understand why Jesus came came to die on the cross to be raised from the dead so that my, he might we might receive forgiveness of sin and as far as Judas was concerned he misunderstood totally and completely the message of Jesus and the mission of Jesus and at times there can be a misunderstanding of this fundamental responsibility of the church I've used this illustration in a slightly different way before but uh, a couple of weeks ago I was down maybe a couple of months ago now really I was down uh, along the front of Port Stewart and uh, sometimes when you go down there I was down yesterday there were two women standing and they were peddling the views of the Jehovah's Witnesses but sometimes in the same spot where they were there can be two boys or two girls or a boy and a girl and they've got a little podium they're not preaching the gospel but they're trying to get people to sign up to help with the Royal National Lifeboat Institute they're looking for money and rightly so that's a very good cause but you know as I've said before sometimes if I come up with a view that you want to raise money for the RNLI why don't you get the lifeboat to go out around the scaries during the summer when there are a lot of people there give tourists a, a tour around the scaries what would the crew say they'd say you've got it wrong lifeboat's not a cabin cruiser it's a, it's a lifeboat it's out to rescue people and that's precisely what Judas didn't understand he didn't understand that Jesus had come on a rescue mission and that it wasn't to give him prominence in some kingdom that would be established in the future that could be measured in a territorial sense but he came in order to seek and to save the lost and Judas had slipped there's a story told if I can remember it correctly this morning it's about another artist who painted a painting and this particular artist was commissioned to paint a painting in, in, in one of these big cathedrals. And it was going to take years to complete. And he began by painting the table, the Lord's table. And then he went out into the streets of the city in which he was living. And he looked for somebody whose complexion he felt would be appropriate to him, for him to sit as a model and he would paint him as Jesus and he went and he found this man he brought him in and for quite some time he painted this man in great detail and the man out he went again then sometime later he went out into the streets and he wanted to find somebody who would represent Peter somebody with a fairly rugged complexion and he went out and he found somebody he brought him in and again he sat for months and 
This was very detailed painting and it was, it was completed. And they went out and looked for an Andrew and so on and so forth as each of the disciples were painted. Until then, he came to the last disciple. They, they put him off to the end. And that was Judas. He went out into the streets of the city and he went to all the dives and the haunts and the opium dens and places where he felt that there would be somebody whose complexion was such that they would look a bit like a representation of Judas. And he found this man. And he brought him in, set him down. And for a week after a week he painted him. Till eventually he finished. Before the man left, he as he did with the others, he was going to give him some money for, for sitting as a model. But this man started, and the tears started to run down his eyes. And the artist said, what's your problem? He said, this, I want to tell you something, he said. Many years ago, when you started this painting, you went out into the streets of the city, and you went and you found somebody who you felt he could sat down and paint as Jesus. He said, that person was me. As the years had gone on, a deterioration had taken place in this man's life. And moving from somewhere where he was living a, a decent, upright life, he allowed all sorts of things to enter into his life. And they had fouled his life. And he was no longer the person he used to be. He was a Judas. And in some respects, he shouldn't have been sitting around the table. There was Judas. Secondly, there was Peter. In verse 31, Jesus told his disciples, this night all of you will fall away on account of me. What was Peter's response? Peter's response was, look, everybody else can fall away if they want, but I'm not going to fall away. Earlier on, when Jesus had said, I'm going to go to the cross, he said, no, you'll not be going to the cross. If you die, I'll die with you. And Peter's declaration of solidarity with Jesus didn't stand the test of time. And when Jesus was taken by the authorities, Peter followed at a distance, and when confronted by a little maid in the high priest's courtyard, he denied any knowledge of Jesus. And Peter's association and allegiance to Jesus was susceptible to change and to fluctuation. And in some ways, that should be a great comfort to us. Because we shouldn't be overly disappointed because Peter's failure was not final. And what we can remember is that as far as Jesus was concerned, there was a day in the midst of the failure when forgiveness would come and when Peter would be restored again. What was Peter's problem at that time? Peter's problem was that he had lost his focus. I remember used the illustration before about the nursery rhyme. 
Pussycat, Pussycat, where have you been? I've been to London to visit the Queen. Pussycat, Pussycat, what did you do there? I chased a little mouse under the chair. Where did the cat go? Went to London. What did it go to London for? To visit the Queen. What did it do when it was there? It chased a mouse under the chair. What was the cat's problem? The cat had lost its focus. And for a period of time, Peter had lost his focus. Consequently, we could use an old-fashioned phrase, he backslid. And he was not where he should have been. But his failure was not final. And how do we know this? We know this because after the resurrection of Jesus, when Jesus saw the the two women, and he said to them, go and tell the disciples that I've risen, and for goodness sake, make sure you tell Peter. And then on the day of Pentecost, what happened? It was Peter who in the streets of Jerusalem was used by the Holy Spirit to proclaim the gospel in such an effective way that thousands of people from all sorts of different places who were gathered in Jerusalem at that particular time responded to it. And later on in the next chapter, in Acts chapter 3, when Peter and John were going up to the temple to pray, and remember there was a man who needed to be healed and was healed, and then Peter and John went into the temple, and the the people said, how has this managed to happen? And Peter again was used to effectively preach the gospel, and thousands of people again were becoming Christians. You see, his failure was not final. And that surely should be a great encouragement to each and every one of us. There may be a time when we've failed. There may be a time when we've grown a bit cold. That's not the end. And the third disciple who sat around the table with the others was Andrew. He was Peter's brother. Peter was, I suppose, aggressive and strong-willed and single-minded and rash and impetuous and at times intolerant and could cause turbulence. While Andrew was the opposite. He was quiet, he was inoffensive, he was not boastful, he was solid, he was dependable, conservative. And like the others, Andrew would have been anxious when Jesus asked the question or made the statement that one of you will betray me. But he certainly did not betray Jesus like Judas, nor did he deny Jesus like Peter. Yes, initially he probably was one of the the, the disciples who were scattered for a while, but soon he was back on board. Like Barnabas in the New Testament, we could say that Andrew was a great encourager. In John chapter 1, it speaks of the ministry of John the Baptist. And Andrew was greatly taken by the message of John and responded to it. And then what happened when John pointed to the fact that Jesus had come, what did Andrew do? He raced back and he brought his brother Peter and introduced him to Jesus. And Andrew spoke about joy in his soul and the certainty in his voice. And he affirmed 
enthusiastically and dogmatically who Jesus was and brought Peter. It was not easy to do it, I'm sure. But that was his responsibility, and he did it. And while Andrew was never at the forefront, certainly his brother Peter took a very prominent position within the apostolic band. And then on the day when Jesus was with the multitude who were hungry, and the disciples wanted to send the 5,000 people away because, well, how on earth were they going to cope? Jesus would take a different view, and it was Andrew who introduced the wee boy with the fishes and the loaves and said, here's a wee boy. And he left it for Jesus to sort out the problem. So Andrew brought his brother, he brought a boy, and we're told also he brought the barbarians. The barbarians was another name given in John 12 and 20 to 23 to people who were known as certain Greeks. They were known as barbarians in, in Jewish circles. And these people came to Philip and they said, look, we want to speak to Jesus. And Philip didn't know what to do. He probably took the view, well, I'm, I'm not going to send them to Peter to sort it out because Peter will get hyper about it. But he went to Andrew and Andrew said, right, come on, Philip. And the two of them went and they introduced these people to Jesus. Now, we're not told what the response was, but he, Andrew, was the instrument in introducing them. Andrew was humble. He realized he would not play a significant role in the apostolic band. He wasn't one of the inner circle of Peter, James, and John, who were the first division disciples. But it was enough for him to be aware that he was considered worthy to be one of the twelve. And Andrew went quietly about doing the job and winning people for Jesus. Someone once said this, that the Andrews of our churches seldom preach in influential pulpits. But they teach small Sunday school classes, small Bible study groups, and they direct youth fellowships. The church needs few Peters and Johns, but it cannot get on without a multitude of Andrews ministering behind the scenes. Three countries are named as Andrew having their, being their patron saint. And Andrew's name has been associated in the past with a strategy to bring non-Christians to, non to Jesus Christ under the title of the work of Operation Andrew. Yes, there were others sat around the table. We haven't time to look at them all. But there was Judas. And Judas was his own distinctive personality and problem. He really wasn't ready. And if he were alive today with the attitude that he had, he shouldn't be sitting around the table. There was Peter. Yes, he was there. With his faults and his failings and his failings in the future. But his failings didn't debar him because he confessed and moved forward and there was Andrew solid strong dependable and quiet who was 
Thank you.